These are the Money Minutes. Today, the Reserve... Today, the Reserve Bank hits the hyperdrive button trying to stimulate a pandemic-hit economy. But is it now creating bigger troubles in the future than it's fixing today? It's great to have your company for another episode. No matter who you are, just spare a thought today for retirees and others who are facing the real prospect of a zero-rate return on their money, any saver in our economy. Now, those people will now potentially be eating into their capital, meaning their savings won't last anywhere near as long in retirement as they might have planned. And the consequential problem of this is that many will seek investments where there are higher returns, maybe in mortgage-backed investments, the share market, or maybe higher-yielding, higher-risk bonds. And though the Reserve Bank's actions to cut the official interest rate to 0.1% and to buy up to $100 billion worth of bonds, $5 billion worth of bonds every week, so by, therefore, injecting more and cheaper money into the banks, it's designed to stimulate investment and growth. It remains that what happens next is the real question that is the unknown. For many of those people taking high-risk investments today, if there are collapses in the economy, the share market, in property markets in the future, it could not just take away their income, but also a big chunk of their capital. We've seen that in previous recessions. Now remember, for months now, I've told you that this recession is going almost exactly the same way as recessions in the past. There was the initial shock. The government, the Reserve Bank, stepped up to stimulate the economy. There is even a subsequent boom, perhaps, in share and property markets. Certainly the share market's already there. And the reality dawns that the real recession, when the stimulus is eventually withdrawn, it could be in three or four years' time. Because remember, it's not just the Australian government and the Australian Reserve Bank stimulating in this way. It's being done all over the world. But back to those people struggling to save money in a safe manner. The Reserve Bank Governor, Philip Lowe, did something groundbreaking yesterday. He held a press conference straight after this monetary policy decision to explain why the Reserve Bank acted in the way that it did. Go figure, the world's still turning today. Now, I've been pushing the Reserve Bank to do these press conferences for years now to match the practice of its counterparts at the Federal Reserve in the US and the Bank of England. Anyway, Phil Lowe, to his credit, did step up and he answered questions from journalists and economists, but he was asked specifically how he would explain these decisions to cut interest rates, to buy back bonds, to those people who have savings. Here's what he said. What I'd say to them is we, we understand their pain. We discussed this extensively at our board meeting today. I know personally because many of the people write to me explaining the difficult circumstances that they're in. And I acknowledge the effect of monetary easing falls very unevenly across the community. The people who are relying on interest income as their main source of income, uh, bear a heavy share of the burden here. And I understand why they would be unhappy, and I think it's regrettable we find ourselves in this situation. As I said before, the, the underlying um, driver of this is there are a lot of people around the world who want to save, and not many people want to invest. So if you save a lot but people don't want to use your money to invest, the, the harsh and unfortunate reality here is you're going to get a low return on your saving. So the solution here is to get businesses to invest and to have individual, other individuals 
uh, want to use those um, use so, uh, use uh, their income to spend rather than to save. If we can do that, then, as I said before, I'm confident we can get back to a world where savers can get decent rates of return. I think the other thing I would say to savers is there's, a, there's an issue about the collective good here. I think lower interest rates will help support spending and ultimately that will create jobs. So the, the broader community will benefit from today's decision. So the big question is, do you buy what the Reserve Bank Governor said there? Is that a sufficient explanation that he shares the pain, that he understands it, that there is a disproportionate, if you like, burden that's being carried by those people? I don't think many of those people will cop that. Anyway, very shortly I'll speak with one of this country's leading economists, Warren Hogan, about the Reserve Bank stimulating the economy in this way, and especially, and this is really important, so close after a federal budget that itself was highly stimulative. But there's also something else. Given the Reserve Bank is now upgrading Australia's economic prospects, it's saying things are actually getting better right now. Was this really the time to hand out more stimulus? Well, again, let's go back to Philip Lowe. Here's what he said. Why make this change today? Why move now? It's an understandable question, especially given that we're easing monetary policy further today at the same time as we're upgrading the forecast for the near-term um, outlook for the economy. Apart from the general case for further monetary easing that I've already spoken about, there are a couple of other factors that have influenced the timing. The first is that over recent months, we have learnt about the pandemic and its economic impact. As the months have passed, it's become increasingly apparent that there are likely to be long-lasting effects from the pandemic, in particular, higher unemployment. While the outlook does remain highly uncertain, we do have a somewhat clearer picture of the future state of the labour market. A sharp bounce back in jobs is unlikely, and it will take time to return to where we were before the pandemic. And we've responded to this clearer picture today. So the Reserve Bank's decision, let's try and understand exactly what it means, not only for the, the broader economy, but also the Reserve Bank itself in terms of its own mandate. Now, the man I like to go to to talk economics is one of Australia's foremost economists, Warren Hogan from the UTS Business School, who's on the line right now. Warren, many thanks for your time. No, no problem, Ross. Good to, good to be here with you. Okay, so you today in the Financial Review have written a piece saying uh, the Reserve Bank's Philip Lowe has thrown the kitchen sink at the economy. Is that the way you see it? Is this quantitative easing? Is the $100 billion worth of bond repurchases? Uh, is this really all throwing the kitchen sink at the economy? Well, it is in the sense that they've now sort of crossed the Rubicon and gone into this quantitative easing, which they have resisted and even said that they didn't really want to do. Um, in terms of the volume, the $100 billion is large. That's a lot of money that they're going to be pumping into the economy via the government's deficit. Uh, but they can do more in the future. And I suspect, unfortunately, I think they will have to do more. But they've now decided they'll go down that path. And that's what's new here in this. And this is just a an extension of um, monetary stimulus, putting money into the economy, trying to get as much cash 
into the economy so that hopefully it'll be invested and create jobs. Okay, so just explain this because the way in which they're getting the cash in is effectively by um, printing money. And it is really in at the bottom of this, it is printing money to buy back bonds that are owned by superannuation funds and other investors. So that money goes back into those superannuation funds or indeed the banks themselves. And so they then have more money to lend out. Is that pretty much what the, what the deal is? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very good way of, of explaining it because that's the process that's happening. So that, that $100 billion, you know, so the government deficit's there. It's, it's well over $200 billion, And their commitment of $100 billion is just saying instead of banks or super funds or actually offshore investors as well buying that $100 billion of bonds that the government's going to need to fund its deficit, the Reserve Bank will do it with newly minted money. It's not you know, literally $100 bills. It's, 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 it's all digital in this day and age. But that, that is the exact analogy. That's what they're doing. And that money will find its way back into the economy. Or for those investors from overseas that don't come and buy the bonds, that'll help push the exchange rate down a little bit. Okay, I was going to get to the exchange rate in a little while because that clearly is one of the prime roles of the Reserve Bank. But the only thing that really confuses me about the Reserve Bank's tactics is the banks are already reporting that they're awash with cash, that businesses and households are sitting on cash because they've been so defensive. So how does the move of the Reserve Bank actually improve, if you like, the confidence of people to take the money, to take these lines of credit and to go out and invest to create jobs and to try and create better returns elsewhere. Well, this is exactly the point, Ross, and this is where I'm a little bit concerned about this, is that it doesn't actually do anything to change the investment decision for business. The the level of interest rate, the cost of debt, um, or your access to debt, the ability to borrow, um, has not really changed. The banks were full of cash a week ago, and the cost of borrowing is not going to materially change from this. I mean, they've lowered their cash rate target and their three-year yield target and so forth from 25 basis points to 10 basis points. Um, what that, Whether that materially ends up in borrowing costs remains to be seen, but it's not material. It's only 15 basis points, 0.15% lowering. So they haven't changed in any sort of significant way the, the mechanics of borrowing money. So what really we need is for businesses to want to invest. And I'm not sure that this changes it. In fact, because it's extreme policy, because it's um, unprecedented, I worry it sends a bit of a signal out to the community that there's something wrong. And that can actually get in the way of people investing because businesses invest on a view that things are going to go well over the next two, three, four, five years. And this doesn't, I think, necessarily change that. Okay, because I'm with you on this as well, because this is the thing that, again, puzzles me more than anything else. If you've got rates close to zero, then the hurdle rates for an investor, for anybody, a business, to make a a big um, piece of investment into the future, and we're not talking about small amounts, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars potentially. The truth is they've got to feel as though they've got a, um, a, a return from that investment that justifies the risk they might be taking and indeed taking into account interest rates, um, the cost of energy, the cost of employment, all of these types of things come into that mix. But it seems to a certain extent that many businesses right now uh, are almost shy about investing uh, and putting that money to work, mainly because they're fearful of what might come in the future. Um, Is that really something that the Reserve Bank and the government together have got to work on to make people believe and have confidence that there is a better tomorrow? Well, I think that's exactly it. And I think the government is 
trying very hard to do that. Um, and again, it worries me that given that this is the first RBA sort of board meeting after the budget, it's not exactly a ringing endorsement of the budget. They could have maybe held back a little bit. But the government is trying to lower the after-tax cost of investments through the tax breaks. It is trying to raise people's expectations for economic activity into the future through its infrastructure strategies, whether that be in skills or physical infrastructure, energy or digital infrastructure. So they're the things that are, are sort of are, are really important. And I think time is important here too. You can't just suddenly flick a switch after a global pandemic and think that suddenly everything is going to bounce back. I mean, it takes time for people to sort of rebuild those animal spirits. So again, it, it speaks to this question of was the RBA's actions or are these actions sort of helping uh, the process of repair and getting those animal spirits back? Or are they sending a signal that, well, wait a minute, something's wrong out there? And of course, they're taking a very sort of technical, sort of economic model-driven sort of view. That, See, that's uh, what worries more... me as well. I, I just think that they've got new toys, uh, quantitative easing. We don't want to go down to quantitative easing as the Reserve Bank Governor and, and his Deputy Governors had said several times. They're there now. We don't want to go to interest rates. We think it's highly unlikely we'll go to negative interest rates, said Philip Lowe yesterday. And I kind of think, well, it's pretty obvious they're eventually going to get there if they have to go there. It, it just worries me that it's almost like a, a general in an army having a whole bunch of you know new equipment and unless they've got a war unless they've got a crisis they never get to test it out they've now got the crisis they can test out all of these tools that they've got in their armory yeah well i think i think they very much feel that they're they're at the forefront of this battle um the battle being the economic recovery and the, the problem i you know i think that we're going to one day find out is that monetary policy can only do so much in this country in america europe and that there's there's far more important processes within the economy within expectations and confidence and of course you know fiscal and structural policies can have much more of an impact on the the recovery at this stage of the game than anything monetary policy can do and my sort of concern and i've had this concern now as you know for a few years is that there may be a point when monetary policy becomes so easy that interest rates are so low and there's so much stimulus from monetary policy that it it goes from helping the economy to hurting the economy. Um, and and that's, that's the uncertainty. And that's why I think caution um, is a better strategy. And the RBA has been more cautious than other central banks. But now they've literally thrown in the towel. And I think the, the main driver here is the currency. The concern if they don't participate in quantitative easing that the, the Aussie dollar will be higher than it otherwise would be because all these other central banks are doing it. And I think that's what's really sort of got them over the line on this. And, and, and look, they're trying to do what they think is the best thing for the country. And they feel that if they don't do this, then we may end up having, you know, a headwind from our currency that might not otherwise be there. And, and, and of course, though, and I was going to say, they'll only be judged on that in the future, of course. We'll only know in five or ten years' time as to whether these policies right now are correct. But we know that yesterday the decision was one of those turning points uh, for the economy and indeed for the policy of the Reserve Bank. And I, I'm with you about the currency. I think that's what it's all about. But I go to the three points in their charter. One is to fulfil the economic prosperity and welfare of the Australian people. I, you know, we get that. Number two is the maintenance of full employment in Australia. And and the final one is the stability of the currency in Australia. And as you say, that's the sense where they've gone to. But here's my point, and it's again where it puzzles me. Given the fact that all countries in the world have their currencies compared with each other, 
Somebody at some stage has got to have a strong currency and somebody's got to have a weak currency. Not everybody can have a weak currency at the same time. And so what I wonder is whether it is actually folly in some ways to try and pursue strategies that might otherwise, as you say, have uh, detrimental outcomes simply because you're trying to pursue a policy to have the currency as cheap as it is when every other central bank around the world and the Western world in particular is trying to do exactly the same thing. Well, that's it. I mean, you can't all actually devalue because you've, it's a relative price, as you said. And what ends up happening is exactly what we're seeing is the value of all currencies go down. Now, what does that mean, actually? Well, it means that your, your US dollar, call that the benchmark, is going to be worth less than worth less versus real assets. Now, the classic one is gold, and we've seen gold prices go up a lot. But it's actually physical assets. So I think the, the, the one in this country that's most relevant is property, but it's also equities. And this is the devaluation of all currencies, which the, the path that leads to is obviously a loss of credibility of the central bank, the financial system. And, and, and you know, the, the, the full logical extension is, is some sort of you know, financial breakdown. And that's why I think some more sort of concerning commentators are seeing this as a sort of a, a, a bad path to go down. And I think the central banks would argue, well, it's a, it's a policy strategy to revive the economy. Um, but, you know, when do you know that you've gone too far or not? And, and I think this is the, the, the reason we're in a risky zone. And, of course, this, this gets back to the original question. Is this helping confidence? I mean, the fact that all central banks are, are willingly devaluing their currencies, I don't think instills confidence in the business community that things are okay. So, okay, then we get to the final part of the statement itself yesterday, a couple of things, because people now, knowing what took place between 1987 and 1991, a lot of people are fearful that the real recession from the stock market crash, the pandemic-induced recession that we're now in, that it doesn't really play out until some of this fiscal support, monetary support comes off in three or four years' time. That's when the real recession starts. So the Reserve Bank yesterday says that the board's not expecting to increase the cash rate for at least three years. So it's aimed to business and investors and and people buying properties. You're not going to get a rate rise for at least three years. It also then spells out as to why it might in the future increase uh, interest rates, and that's about inflation. Forecast to be 1% next year, and they're really now saying until we see inflation between 2 and 3% sustainably there, we're not going to be even thinking about moving interest rates at all. No, that's it. They're, they're, they've committed to um, keeping the, sort of the, the foot to the floor on monetary stimulus for a long time. And, and, and you're right to, to look at the 87 analogy where sort of a real concern that that stock market crash uh, was going to lead to an economic downturn source, the cutting of interest rates, monetary stimulus, which overheated the property market in this country, a massive commercial property boom, which led to a financial crisis in the early 90s. But you could say the same with the tech wreck in that recession in 2000. The Fed responded. They were worried that this was the Great Depression all again. They put rates down to the floor. They didn't raise them quickly. And that led to the financial crisis in 2008. Now, this is the problem we've got and have had now for quite a long time, probably 30, 40 years, is that we get these sort of financial events, these downturns like 2008, which are essentially an overheating of the economy due to too much debt accumulated and then that some of that debt failing. The response of policymakers is to push more debt into the system. And, and now that policy response, you know, 
I think it, it, it can't sort of continue when you get to zero interest rates. That's what concerns me. Now, I think you're right. I think we'll get some traction in the next few years, and, and I hope it, it continues and we get a real recovery for the next decade. But the question that is going to overhang this is whether or not this is just setting us up for more trouble down the track. I'll tell you what, always great to have a chat to you. Warren Hogan, one of Australia's foremost economists with the UTS Business School, on that analysis of the Reserve Bank, because that is the key. It doesn't matter whether you're a homeowner in business, whether you're a family trying to put your kids through school, that's going to be one of the overarching factors that's going to affect your lives into the future. And Warren, I appreciate your time as always. Thanks, Russ. All the best. So that's it for the Money Minutes for this episode. Thanks for taking the time to listen. You can always give us your feedback via your podcast app on Apple, Google, Spotify, and now Amazon, or otherwise via your social media feeds, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. This has been a Talent Corp production. I'm Ross Greenwood, and these are the Money Minutes. Money Minutes.